Oh Lord, may the truth of that song not only resonate in our heart, but may be true. Maybe, may we be those who are still in our soul because of a anchored confidence that we have in the bedrock of Christ. That on Christ, the solid rock, we stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And of course, as we look into your word, your word is truth. Steady, stable, trustworthy, dependable. Lord, may our heart be so settled in the confidence of knowing the truth of the word of God that it carries us from day to day. May it be our testimony, Lord, that our soul is still. Not because we're indifferent, not because the world around us isn't swirling, not because the wind and the waves of all of the stresses and pressures and challenges of life aren't bombarding us, but our foundation is secure in the rock. And so in that, Lord, may, may the testimony of our life not be to question faith, but to say faith is sound. Faith is secure. Souls are steady and at peace because of trusting you. Lord, I, I know that in this room and on the live stream, there are, there are a number of people who are, who are experiencing the unsteadiness of life. And it's natural for us to fear. It's natural for us to, to wonder how in the world do we navigate the challenges of life. But, but Lord, call attention to yourself. Call attention to yourself as the steady one. The one who not only saves and carries us to heaven, but the one who saves and provides deliverance and salvation moment by moment, day by day, as we trust in you. God, may that be our testimony this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever heard uh, someone tell you or, or, or ask you, are you listening? Ever, anyone ever say that to you? Are you listening? Or maybe you have said that to your kids. Are, are, are you listening? And um, some of you are struggling with listening right now. Of course, some of you listen and, and you're hearing. There's information. You know what's being said, but, but there's not listening that would lead to understanding. Um, my, my son and I were able to, to put this together. My, my wife uh, kindly gave him a gift, but it was really my gift. <laughs> 203 pieces, and uh, it's, this is driven by pneumatics. There's, there's a, a piston pressure system. Water drives the, the, the levers and the gears, and uh, 203 pieces that help to, the, the thumb works too, but it's, it's loose. Um, the only way to make this work is to follow instructions. The only way to, to make this work is not only to listen, but to put those, those instructions to work in our life, right? Or to work to put this together. And, and by the way, um, after four hours of, um, of, of, of tinkering with this, we finally got it together, and the, the final product is what you see. What a What a joy. I'll put us down now so uh, you're not distracted. 
It's really a testimony to, to life. Because in all of life, God is calling us to listening. And in our passage today, he's calling us to listening that is hearing. But the kind of hearing that leads to believing. And the kind of believing that helps to demonstrate remaining. The kind of faith that is secure. The kind of faith that is steady. The kind of faith that remains and goes the distance. So this morning, um, we're covering all of Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 56. But there are, there are only three points this morning. The, the three points, the rhythm of this text is hearing, believing, remaining. Hearing, believing, remaining. Hearing, believing, remaining. The rhythm of this chapter will tell us the importance of hearing, believing, remaining. You got it? Hearing, believing, remaining. That's it. That's the message in totality. It's the message of the Bible, by the way. From, from the very beginning, God has been after disciples, followers. And they will be marked by these three qualities. All the way back to the garden, and, and I don't want to rehearse all of this for us Again, but you know the story of Adam and Eve. They heard, at least they listened. They knew what God expected. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for on that day you eat, you will die. They heard it. They knew it. They didn't believe it. And because they didn't believe it, they could no longer remain in the garden. The, the testimony of hearing did not connect with lasting believing that allowed them to enjoy the benefits of remaining in relationship with God. And that is the testimony of the Bible from start to finish. Noah and his family are given some instructions. Go build an ark. Build with these dimensions. Go into the ark. And when they decided to listen in here, they decided to believe that what God was telling them was true. They obeyed by going into the ark. They were able to remain, right, on the earth without being swept away by the floods. Fast forward to Moses and the people on Mount Sinai. And, and you know these people, what they said. All that the Lord has said we will do. That's the right response, but the wrong life. Because they didn't follow through. They heard, and they believed for a time, but they didn't remain. And because they didn't remain, most of them didn't even get into the promised land. And the ones that, that, they, that did, didn't stay there for long, did they? There, there wasn't a remaining in the promised land because there wasn't a true believing in the word. And so this indictment is written across the children of Israel in 2 Kings chapter 17. Notice, it says, Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah by every prophet and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes. In accordance with all the law, I have commanded your fathers that I sent you by my servant, the prophets. I have given you the word. You have heard the word. But they would not hear because that hearing didn't translate into obeying but were stubborn as their fathers had been who did not believe their God. 
Hearing did not translate into believing, at least long-term believing. Jesus will introduce the same concept to his audience both at the very beginning and the end of his ministry. We see that in John chapter 5, verse 24, where Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Now, now this is really important. Because this isn't just some fringe kind of, of listening that God is calling to us. Eternity hangs in the balance. Eternity is at stake with your willingness to hear and believe and remain in Jesus. Do you know Jesus this morning? Have you come to a place of recognizing your sin and your desperate need for a savior? Have you bowed the knee, asked for forgiveness, enjoyed the cleansing work of God in your life, and then submitted your life to Jesus as Lord and master of your life so that he calls the shots and now is the testimony of your life. You remain with him. What he says, you do. That's what true discipleship's all about and that's what Luke chapter eight is. At the very end of Jesus' public ministry, he reemphasizes this point in John chapter 12, where he says this, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. If anyone, if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I don't judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me and does not receive my words, has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Are you listening? Are you hearing? Are you believing? Are you remaining in the word? We could easily spend the next six weeks walking through Luke chapter 8, and that would be really beneficial. But this morning... Uh, I want you to understand that, that, that sometimes when we take things in large chunks, we actually get to the essence of the point. And so oftentimes when we, when we spend time in the, in the details, it's, it's hard to, to see how things relate to one another and why is that story there to begin with? But when you take it in massive chunks, it, it, it forces you to see the, the whole picture and to focus on the things that matter. And, and while the details of the story are important, it, it's the, the underlying message of Luke chapter 8 that, that, we're, that we're focusing on today. So what are they? Hearing, believing, remaining. You got it. There's a strategy for, for reading and studying the Bible and I just want to introduce this to you. This is, this is extra. As you're reading the word of God, here are some things to, to keep in mind. You need to pray for the Holy Spirit's help. No one can understand the message from God without the Spirit of God. And so we need to submit ourselves to God, not bring our message to the text, but allow the message of the text to connect to our hearts, that we are submitting ourselves to the authority of the word rather than having the word of God submit to our understanding of truth, right? Then we need to read and reread the passage. And in doing that, we're looking for common words and phrases. And, and as we see these common words and phrases, it will begin to push 
the message up so we can, aha, that's the point. That's what I need to know. And then we read the account in the other Gospels as well. Here we are in Luke. What a, what a benefit it is that the synoptic Gospels, Matthew and Mark, also include these stories, but, but there's some nuances. There are some differences, not because the account in Luke is not true or those other places are untrue, but there are details that the Holy Spirit led Luke to write. He wants us to understand. By looking at the other Gospel accounts, we can say, ah, now, now I'm beginning to understand what Luke and what the Holy Spirit wants me to get out of this text. Finally, notice the shifts in focus. And, and by these things, these strategies, we're coming to our text today and, and we're able to identify the main thing. So let's look at the passage as a whole. First, Luke chapter 8, verses 1 to 21. There are four examples that will emphasize hearing the hearing of a true disciple. Right out of the gate in, in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you, pick up the Bible in the pew. Page 864 is where we are. If you don't have a Bible, that now belongs to you. Okay, that's your Bible. Mark in it, take it home with you. But notice the emphasis on hearing and the emphasis on the word. Soon afterward, it says, he went, speaking of Jesus, on through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him. The emphasis on teaching ministry. The, the hearing would come through Jesus himself. Then we find the, the parable of the sowers in verses 8 to 15. And again, you're going to notice the emphasis on hearing. Verse 8 he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Verse 9, his, his disciples come. Why are you teaching in parables? In verse 10, Jesus says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Verse 12, we see this parable, this explanation of now these different soils and the soil along the path are those who have heard. Verse 13, the, the, the seed in the rocky soil are those who have heard. In verse 14, those among the thorns are those who hear. In verse 15, as for the, for the seed in the good soil, those who, who, who are hearing the word. Notice the emphasis, hearing. Hearing is front and center for us. We move down to the next little section, verses 16 to 18, and, and notice what Jesus says in verse 18. Take care then how you, what church? Here. Jesus then moving to a different scene. You might wonder, what in the world does Jesus, his mother and brothers, what does this have to do with anything? Well, the point of it is in verse 21. My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Emphasis on hearing. That's the significance of the first four examples. Then we turn to the next four examples in verses 22 to 56. Now the emphasis shifts. Now it's moving from hearing to believing. Jesus will calm a storm in verses 22 to 25, and we'll see he, he, he confronts his disciples, who, by the way, were afraid. Verse 25, 
He says, where is your faith? Then Jesus will heal a man with a demon in verses 26 to 38. We'll see the people are afraid in verse 35. This will become a cue for us to determine whether or not there's faith or not faith because people who are true disciples may be afraid. We're going to see that. But the indication that there's not faith is fear. They can't coincide. Fear and faith don't work together. So Jesus points this testimony of the gospel will raise this issue for us. In verse 37, it says, they were seized with fear. Then Jesus moves in verses 40 to 56. There are two stories intertwined, one of Jairus, who was a leader of a synagogue, and one of a woman who had an issue of blood. In verse 41, talking about the woman, it says, the woman saw that she was not hidden. She came trembling. Mark will actually say, she came in fear and trembling. And then in verse 48, Jesus will identify faith. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Then in verse 49, while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Jesus will respond to Jairus and says, do not fear, only believe. This is the same root word for faith. Have faith. This whole chapter is bound together by another theme. We have hearing in the first section. We have believing in the second section. All bound together by remaining. That's the testimony of a true disciple. Your relationship with Jesus will define you. And we're going to see some nuances in the text, some differences. They may seem overwhelming at first, but as we pick our way through, you're going to see this more. You're going to notice the difference between being with him, that's true discipleship. Those who are remaining with him are true disciples. Those who are coming to Jesus and asking Jesus to move away from them, they're, they're counterfeits, at least for now. In verse 1, going back to the beginning, chapter 8, verse 1, notice the 12 were, what church? with him. And then in verse 2, and so were some women. They were also with him. But notice what happens in verse 4. The crowd comes to him. They're not with him. They're coming to him. The whole story of the sower in the seed, it uses a pronoun, autos, and it describes Jesus. He becomes the, the focal point of this story. He, he's the sower. He's the one who's distributing the seed. And the response to the seed that is sown is, a, is really a response to, to Jesus and the, the word that, that Jesus is dispensing. Jesus is the focal point. In verse 19, notice that Jesus' mother and brothers come to him. Notice in verse 22, Jesus is with his disciples when they get into the boat. Notice in verse 28, the demon-possessed man falls down before him. In verse 35, the town comes to Jesus. Notice in verse 38, this man begs that he might be with him. Notice in verse 40, this town welcomes him for they were waiting for him. They weren't with him. All of that is context for us 
to now step into the text. And all we have to do now is we, we're not going to unpack the text. I just want you to see these three points. The hearing, the believing, and remaining. You're going to see it in, in every one of these little sections as we go along. So, so first, are you a true disciple? You will know through the test of hearing. If you're a true disciple, you will be one who hears. But you have to have the right source. You see, there, there are a number of truth sources out there. But you've got to identify the, the one singular primary truth source, and, 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 and that has to be the anchor that will carry you. And Jesus, in his word, has to be that truth source. Notice again, we're back in chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, speaking of Jesus, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. That's where it begins. The chapter begins this way because the whole point of Luke chapter 8 is dependent upon your response to that word. That word is primary. That word is everything. The, the power of the word of God to change your life is supreme. That's the point of Luke chapter 8. The significant ministry that Jesus has with, with his disciples focuses on these two qualities, these two verbs. His proclaiming or preaching ministry, which is Caruso. His gospel telling ministry, which is Juan Galizzo. Of course, it's consistent with, with Jesus' mission statement that we saw in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, which on three occasions will use these words. Proclaiming the good news to the poor in chapter 4, verse 18. That's Juan Galizzo. Uh, proclaiming liberty to the captives. That's K. Russo in verse 4 of chapter 18. Chapter 4, verse 18. And then to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. K. Russo, the preaching, teaching ministry of Jesus. Because the power of God is present through the word of God. The power of God is present through the word of God. Everything else is secondary. Christ calming the storm that we're going to see in a moment here was momentary because that Sea of Galilee was going to rage again. And those disciples in that boat were going to feel the rocky effects of a tumultuous sea. It was just temporary calming that sea. Christ casting the demons out of this demon-possessed man was limited in that it only helped this man at this moment. The rest of the village didn't see it. Christ healing the woman was temporary. She would get sick again. She would grow old. She would die. Jesus raising Jairus' daughter from the grave, <laughs> in light of eternity, it was nothing. But the word of God could change fundamentally from the inside out, and that is primary. Everything else just confirms the power of the message of the word. So Luke wants to emphasize this quality of hearing, the hearing that, that must come from the right source, the, the, the source of Christ in the word of God. You have to have the right source, but you also have to have the right fruit. We see that in verses 4 to 15. This is drawn out for us in this story of these four soils, which, which point to one soil which has the only remaining effect. 
same seed, same, so, uh, same sower, different soils. The hard ground where the seed is snatched away by the birds in verse 5. The rocky ground where the initial, there's initial growth, but the plant withers in verse 6. The thorny ground where there is growth again, but eventually that plant is choked out. Then the good ground, finally, the good ground where we find there is fruitfulness. But, but what kind of fruit? What, what kind of fruit is Luke drawing our attention to the Holy Spirit through the word? We find in verse 12, again, this hard ground. It's explained to us. It's, it, it's the ones along the path who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away that word from their hearts. There is an initial listening, but the, but the word is stripped away from them. It has no effect, no lingering power. This rocky ground in verse 13 where it falls onto the rock and those who, they're those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. That's good, right? But these have no root. They believe for a while. And in the time of testing, they fall away. There's no remaining power. There's no sustaining power. The thorny ground in verse 14, as for those who fell among the thorns, they are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. Finally, the good soil. Verse 15, those in the good soil, those, they're those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. They're holding it fast is an indication of their remaining. The, the word has had power in their life. There is hearing that has led to remaining. And there's patience. It's a word for endurance and patience. They're experiencing the same hardship, the same difficulties as the other soils, the same distractions, the same pleasures of life are calling for them to come, but there's a remaining power in them that establishes them as true disciples because they have the hearing quality that leads to believing, which leads to remaining. All three are present. In every case, by the way, there is hearing. That the translators didn't really do us a service because every hearing that you see in here, it seems to be translated differently. But really, these are all the same tense voice and mood. They're all aorist, active participles. <laughs> so the seed is the same, the sower is the same. The initial hearing is the same. The only thing that differentiates these soils is their staying power. Will they hear in order to believe, in order to remain? They have fruit. The fruit of faith, which leads to remaining. We come to verse 16 to 18, and we see that we have to have the right witness the testimony of our life will, will, will bear itself out in, in a visible quality. Notice, it says, No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will be made manifest, nor anything secret that will not be made known and come to light. Meaning, if you're a believer, the quality of your hearing will show up in the world. You can't conceal the light. The light 
of the truth of the word of God will shine. You will be a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. The witness and testimony of your life will bear forth in, in a visible, apparent, very obvious testimony. The witness of your life will shine over your life and you will see it. People will notice. It, it, it's, it's impossible to conceal. You can't conceal the light. But now Jesus makes this very interesting Correlation. He, he now switches his metaphors and, and he comes to, to verse 18 and he says, so we're talking about seeing, we're talking about light and then he says this, take care then how you hear. What? How you hear? You mean how you shine or how you see? I see light, I don't hear light. No, this comes back to a quality again of hearing. Hearing that leads to believing which leads to remaining. Who are you listening to? The person or the people that you listen to, who you hear, and who you believe will shine through your life for good or for bad. When we hear from God, we will show the fruit of that hearing in a life that's been changed. We come to verse 19 and 21. We, we understand that we also have to have the right allegiance. The right allegiance and if you're reading this story in the, in, in the midst of chapter 8, and you're like, what in the world? This is so misplaced. It doesn't fit. It does. It, it does fit. Notice it says in verse 19, Then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd. And he was told, Your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear my word and obey. Who are you listening to? Luke has been overemphasizing this point. And by the way, in Mark chapter 3, verses 30 and 31, or 20 and 21, we see something else that's really astounding, not included in Luke's narrative, but it's true. It says, Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. When his family heard about this, they went to take charge of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. The audacity of Mary and her, and her sons, Jesus' half-brothers, to go and fetch Jesus, go and take control of God to bring Jesus to them instead of them being with him. The audacity. Now, they would eventually become disciples, but it would take some time, and it would take them being with him, not calling Jesus to them, you know, the truth is, I think many of us struggle with this reality. We come to Jesus our whole life. We come to church. We come to hear. We come to worship. We come to serve. We come to be encouraged. We come for fellowship. We come to show our devotion. But every other time in our life shows no trace of Jesus. We're coming to get our needs met. We're coming to get filled up. All of those are good, and this is a great place for that to happen, but don't let it start, stop there. The testimony of our life should be this abiding relationship with Jesus. 
that permeates every part of life and that we are on mission for him. That, that regardless of, of, of what your occupation, regardless of where you're going to school, you're not a student, you're not an employee primarily. You are on mission for God. And it just happens to be in that context where God has placed you. Allow your hearing to lead to remaining. Too seldom, too seldom we come to abide in him. It should happen much more often. Too seldom we come to learn from him, to sit at his feet, to remain where he is, to, to allow him to instruct our lives and, and, and to allow the, the waiting of our life, which we don't have all the, the, the answers for the future, but, but we're trusting in God to, to lead us in his time. But we demand for answers now. We demand for healing now. We want, we want God to give us our miracle today. He, he's meant to serve our purposes rather than us being on mission for him. And we turn to the test of believing. Another four examples that we see in our story beginning in verse 22. Now faith will take center stage. And, and you must hear the word of God. You, there must be hearing. There must be believing. <laughs> this is the second part. And there are four examples of how the power of the word that can change the heart, that can change what is unseen, is now coming to the surface so we can see the visible reality, the visible confirmation of that power, not working in confinement, in concealment, in a hidden place, but now in public, we can see it. It is powerful. Powerful over nature. Powerful over demons. Powerful over disease. Power over death. That's what we see as we walk through the rest of our narrative. The power of God, and you can believe it. You can trust it. Jesus has power over nature. It says in verse 22, one day he got into a boat with his disciples. And notice, he's with them, but they're still struggling like, like all of us would. We're getting in that boat and things go bad. The storm comes. Jesus is sleeping. Does Jesus care for me? Doesn't he see what's happening here? They wake him up and Jesus confronts them. Poignant words. Direct words. We find there in verse 25, where is your faith? <laughs> Don't you know me by now? Don't you understand who I am? I mean, you've been seeing all the things, all the testimonies of my life. Shouldn't you know by now that I have power over wind and waves? Come on, guys. But Jesus didn't push them away. Isn't that, isn't that spectacular? Jesus, Jesus didn't say, you guys failed. Eh, gone. New group. Because if that was the case, none of us would be disciples anymore, would we? Praise the Lord, he is patient with us to help lead us in faith. <laughs> we need that. But Jesus also has power over demons. We see that in verses 26 to 39. It says, so they, they make it to the other side of the shore. It says in verse 26, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out onto the land, there met him a man from the city 
who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. He was pushed out of town. No one wanted anything to do with him because he was unclean. He was possessed. But now Jesus steps in. Jesus comes and he casts out these demons. The demons plead with Jesus let us go into the pigs. And we find in verse 33, then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs. Jesus let that happen. The herd rushed down the, st- the steep bank into the lake and drowned. The herdsmen, they see all this go down. They're like, we don't want to take responsibility for this. And we know this is our job. They go into town. They retrieve the owners. They bring the owners back like, this isn't our fault. Notice what happens next. Verse 35. Then they came to Jesus and they found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind and they were afraid. This man transformed with Jesus. Luke verse 37. All the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. For they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and he returned. Verse 38. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. The mark of true discipleship. Hearing, believing, remaining. These last two stories are intertwined. Verses 40 to 48. It's a story of Jairus and this woman with an issue of blood. There are so many similarities between these two, two stories, and, and that's the point. The, the point is that, that, that Luke has stitched these together so you can see the contrast of true faith versus counterfeit faith. And the true faith is coming from somebody you would never expect. Jairus, who is this prominent religious figure, who is in the synagogue day by day, week by week, this woman with an issue of blood who would have been forbidden to go into the synagogue. Jairus, who is prominent and wealthy, this woman who has depleted all of her resources. There's nothing left. Jairus, who is prominent and he was known, he was liked. We see the crowds attending the the proceedings at his house, this woman who comes in concealment, she comes in privacy, she's obscure figure. This man, Jairus, who has a 12-year-old daughter, this woman who's had this issue of blood for 12 years, who Jesus calls daughter. And what stands out about this woman? We find in our story in verse 45. Jesus says, who is it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, that the crowds surrounded you and are passing on you, pressing in on you. Jesus said, someone touched me. For I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. That's embarrassing. And how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, Your faith has made you well. This narrative of Jairus, it's difficult to see in our translation, but as you go into the Greek, it is obvious. Up to this point, 
Jesus has been the focal point of the story. He is the autos, the, the, the pronouns that are used throughout this narrative almost predominantly point to Jesus until you get to this account. And then 14 times, autos is used, and only two of those times it's used of Jesus. Every other time, it's used of Jairus, his house, his family, his daughter, his wife. You see, Jesus is just a means to an end for Jairus. It's not about faith. It's about getting something out of this transaction that only Jesus can give. But Jesus, in his kindness, will still go to Jairus' house. And, and, and he says, we find in, in, in verse uh, 49, while he was speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. So, so this delay of Jesus healing this woman, calling attention to her, this delay has now resulted in the death of his daughter. Now I'm sure Jairus at this point is like, really angry. But Jesus will now point out the need for him not to be afraid. Jesus on hearing this said, do not fear, only believe. Be like this woman. She has gone before you, Jairus. She has created the example of faith. Believe like her, and I will do this for you. Jesus enters the home, we find, he tells the crowds in verse 38, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And 53, and they laughed at him. But Jesus um, says, but asking, but taking her by the hand, Jesus called saying, child arise. And her spirit returned. She got up at once. And he directed that someone should, should, something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them not to tell what happened. Jairus experiences the blessing of the power of God, the power of the word of God. But we don't ever hear of Jairus again in the account of the Gospels. We never hear about a transformed life. We never hear about Jairus now becoming a disciple. Now, he could have. But the, the point, I believe, of the story is to help differentiate the, the difference between the faith of this woman and the faith of this elite leader. The truth is that all of us are in this continuum, right? As disciples, we're all called to the same three things. We're called to be hearing and believing and remaining. The, the truth is that, that we're all... <laughs> We're all in process. We're all learning what it means to be a true disciple. Maybe one of the ways that we demonstrate the fact that, that, that Jesus is an end to our, or a means to our end is through our praying. How much of our praying is about the petition, about the request, about the asking, where it's about us. We put ourselves in the center, and it's not about praise. It's not about thanksgiving. It's not about what, Lord, what have you called me to do in this moment? How can I worship you through obedience today? How can I remain where you are? How can I listen to your voice? How can I allow this abiding relationship with Jesus to, to permeate my life? God is interested in us hearing, believing, remaining. 
Oh God, help us. We're so broken in this and we, we need like your disciples patience. We thank you, God, that you are God of all grace and kindness and patience with us. May we be those who remain, who come to you day by day, are looking for ways to be about your business, seeking first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. May that be our story. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thanks for coming today.